0: Good evening. We are talking tonight about uh, discipleship and discipleship as it's done within a church setting. Uh, we emphasized last week that uh, there is a tendency when uh, people are talking about discipleship to uh, adopt a para-church organizational model of Discipleship, that often is what uh, comes to mind. Uh, people will ask, uh, do you have a discipleship program? Uh, looking for something that perhaps the Navigators have or uh, some uh, campus ministry. And I mentioned last week that uh, Discipleship Makers is a parachurch organization. I said my purpose is not to berate uh, parachurch organizations, but to simply point out to us that uh, The church is what God has established, and uh, he says that uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And uh, God certainly intends uh, the church to be the primary discipling uh, arm of the Christian community. And I emphasize the emphasis of community, uh, that uh, we are a people of God, we are a family, brothers and sisters in Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, and that uh, baptism, which is one of the ways in which people are to be discipled, you go into all the world, and uh, we are to baptize, for that brings people into community. It brings them into fellowship with one another. It identifies them with a particular group of people. Tonight, I want to talk about individual discipleship, and next week I'm going to be talking about corporate discipleship. And I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm not going to be using handouts these nights, so you're going to need to bring your Bible or use one that's in the pew before you. Discipleship has been described by some as the process of disciples making disciples. And uh, certainly 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, fits that description. For it says in Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So tonight I'm going to use the illustration of a baton, And I was asked to speak at annual conference on the subject of discipleship. And so some of this comes from that uh, particular uh, message. Some of you listened to that online. Some of you uh, were there for that. Um, But um, I've divided that message up into parts. And uh, tonight we're going to be focusing on individual discipleship under the uh, analogy of uh, passing a baton. And that certainly is not original with me. Uh, that is a very common analogy in this passage. So what is the basis of the imagery for passing of the baton? It's derived from that word in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, where it says that what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. So it's derived from that word to entrust. To entrust something is to hand over something from one person to another for safekeeping, such as in the passing of a baton. You want to hand it from one person to the next in such a way that that baton is not dropped and it is kept securely, only then to be passed on to still another runner. And so that is the imagery, that Paul passed the baton to Timothy, Timothy is to pass the baton to other faithful men, And then other faithful men are to pass it on to still others that are able to teach others also. Um, It's interesting here that um, Paul had passed the baton to Timothy. 1 Timothy 1.18, it says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, and now Timothy is to pass it on to others. 2 Timothy 2.1, You then, my child... Uh, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men uh, who are able to teach others also so while I have entrusted to you you entrust to others who then will entrust it to still others what i want to focus on tonight is how is that baton passed uh, how did paul pass the baton to timothy how did paul disciple, Timothy, as it were. What can we learn from this text, and what can we learn from the scriptures about uh, Paul's relationship with Timothy? The personal discipleship that's alluded into this verse is found in the word child. Child. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So we begin by asking the question, why does Paul refer to Timothy as his child? Some would simply say this is an endearing term. Uh, He refers to Timothy as his child because of his affection for Timothy. Timothy. And certainly Paul does have a great affection for Timothy, and in Second Timothy chapter one, verse two, he says to Timothy, "My beloved child." However, there is much more here than merely endearment. But there is something directly related to this entrusting of the gospel to Timothy's being a child. For in First Timothy 1:18, it says, "This charge I entrust to you, Timothy." My child. So, in trusting the gospel to him, he refers to him as his child. When Paul tells Timothy to entrust the gospel to still others, again, he refers to him as his child. We shouldn't miss that connection. So, we need to ask ourselves then, in what sense is Timothy Paul's child? Well, first, we know that Timothy is not Paul's biological child. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 1 tells us, Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So the scripture tells us that, that uh, Timothy's father was a Greek. He was a Gentile. That certainly is not Paul. Paul was a Jew. Paul was not Timothy's father. But sometimes we use the term father, uh, to speak about those that have led us to the Lord. We talk about sons of the faith in terms of of people that we've had the privilege uh, to lead to the Lord Jesus Christ in a saving way. And they're referred to as a child in the faith. But not so here, for Paul had not led Timothy to the Lord. Uh, Timothy was already a believer when Paul knew him. Acts chapter 16, verse one again. Paul came to Derby and to Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy. So Timothy already had a relationship with God. Timothy was already born again. So Timothy was not his child in the sense that Paul led him to the faith. So he's not his child in the sense that Paul's his biological father. He's not his child in the sense that Paul led him to the Lord. So in what sense is Timothy his child? Well, actually, the book of Philippians answers that question for us. In the book of Philippians, Paul is going to be sending Timothy to Philippi in Paul's absence. Uh, Paul can't go. He's in prison. And so he's going to send Timothy to them uh, to minister to them. And in sending Timothy to the Philippians, he has a word of commendation. He has a word of approval. Uh, He tells them why they should receive Timothy with open arms. And he says this, But you know Timothy's proven worth. How? As a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. As a son with a father, He has served with me uh, as a son, as a son. So he is his son in the sense that he had entered into service alongside of the apostle Paul. In the New Testament era, most people entered into the work that their father uh, entered into. Uh, they would uh, be the baker's son. Uh, And so if their father was a baker, they became a baker. If their their father was a tinsmith, they'd become a tinsmith. If their father was a farmer, they'd become a farmer. Uh, And uh, usually family businesses are such that a child is brought up with the intention of entering into that, that family business. And that is the relationship that Paul has to Timothy, this relationship that of apprenticeship that one would have with an individual of entering into the family uh, business. In the New Testament, uh, this uh, was accomplished, as I say, by entering into this apprentice or this relationship with the Apostle Paul. Uh, so... Uh, Timothy's not the only one that is referred to as Paul's son. Uh, In the book of Titus, the book of Titus opens Paul addressing Titus as my son, for he too had been discipled by Paul. He too had been nurtured by Paul. He too had been developed by Paul. Uh, And the way in which he had done it was by being with Paul. Uh, In Acts chapter 16, it said, uh, verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And as you read through the book of Acts, you will find that as Paul goes on his missionary journeys, he takes Timothy with him. A disciple, literal translation, is a follower. A follower. The way that you were discipled, is that you followed people. Uh, We have job shadowing today. Uh, We have uh, internships of people that work alongside other individuals to learn the ropes, to find out how the business operates, to learn how it functions. So Timothy accompanied the Apostle Paul in his missionary endeavors and journeys. Um, Timothy had followed Paul in the fullest sense of that word. Let me give you a personal illustration quickly, and uh, then uh, I'll go back to the scriptures. Uh, I grew up on a farm, and it was understood that the farm was, in essence, a family business. Um... Everybody was expected to be participating in uh, making a go of the farm. So I had to uh, work on the farm. My dad had to prepare me to do that. Uh, I started off as a child, being with my dad all the time, probably from about five to six years old. I followed my dad around. Uh, When he was on the tractor, I'd be sitting on his lap, and he'd be... uh, plowing fields or sowing corn or whatever he was and and I was just sitting on his lap. Well, time would come along and I moved from sitting on his lap to actually driving the tractor to the place where I was driving the tractor by myself. Uh, When my dad was fixing tools as a a young child uh, he'd say, go get a wrench out of the toolbox, I'd get a wrench. He'd say, go get a hammer out of the toolbox, I'd get a hammer and uh, I would be handing him uh, his tools and watching him work uh, as I got a little older and understood things a little bit better, um, he said to me, you're not much help if I have to tell you what to do all the time. Uh, so uh, I had to learn, Okay, anticipate, okay, it's time for the wrench, it's time for the hammer. He's going to need this, he's going to need that. So I had to go get it and prepare it for him uh, so that he'd be ready and he could do it. Eventually, I was using the wrench, and eventually I was using the hammer, and I was doing those things myself. There was a progression that took place in order to be able to take on the responsibilities and duties to fulfill what uh, God uh, what, what was needed to be done. But it wasn't just that he taught me about uh, how to do certain things. Uh, he also taught me about life. He also taught me about a work ethic, if you will. Uh, my dad was a very hard worker. Uh, we were on a dairy farm, and uh, that's a little different than uh, other kind of farming, because it meant that you had cows. And cows uh, have to be milked twice a day. They are milked every morning. They're milked every night. And uh, literally every morning and every night. And so my dad uh, milked every morning and every night. And he prided himself that in 30 years, he had never missed a milking. now, that's the grace of God. I mean, There were so many things that could have happened that it could have prevented him from uh, milking. But it did mean that there were a lot of times when he didn't feel very good that he was out there milking cows. That there were times in which he would be liking to do other things. He was milking cows. That was true on Christmas Day. Cows had to be milked. They didn't know that it was, it was Christmas. And so we had to wait for Dad to be done milking before we could open presents. And uh, he'd milk again in the afternoon. Well... My brother is nine years older than I. Uh, And so uh, he went off to college, and that meant that I had to take on more responsibilities. So I was now about 12 years old, and I was expected to do more than what I'd done previous to that time. I was expected to adopt a work athlete like my dad's. Um, That meant you were to be in the barn every day. Uh, That meant if you didn't feel good, it didn't matter. Cows had to be milked. Uh, so you went out and you went to the barn. My dad, I saw him vomit in the gutter already. Uh, so I vomited in the gutters. My dad's uh, understanding was you're going to feel bad whether you're lying in bed or you're out milking cows. So you might as well be milking cows and being doing something useful. He taught me a work ethic. All right. But uh, much more than that, my dad taught me what was really important in life my dad was a believer and uh, he had hoped and prayed before I was even born that I would be a preacher and uh, that is why I have the name that I have uh, Calvin after John Calvin and Tory after R.A. Tory, both of them uh, preachers theologians Uh, That was what my dad had hoped and and prayed for. When I became 16 years old, uh, my dad said to me, um, what are you going to do? Are you going to take over this farm or not? And I said, no, dad, I don't want the farm. I want to be a pastor. And he worked so hard to get that farm. He sacrificed immensely uh, for he had grown up in a, in a home, uh, grew up during the Great Depression. He was one of 12 children, and the uh, family couldn't provide for him, so he was farmed out uh, to work uh, for another individual uh, on his farm. And so my dad was actually raised by another family. But it was by the grace of God, because that family were Christians, and my dad came to know the Lord through that family. Nobody in his family my dad's family was saved. So when it was now, I'm 16 years old, my dad said, well, I can't continue to do this by myself, I'm gonna have to sell the farm. But he wasn't unhappy, because there was one thing that was more important than milking cows, and that was preaching the word of God. And so I was delighted. So my dad taught me a lot about what I needed to know, to help him on the farm but he also taught me a lot about the Christian faith he taught me about decency he taught me about the value of the word of God Paul says to Timothy this in 2nd Timothy listen to these words you however have followed my teaching my conduct my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconum, at Lystra, Timothy, you were there. Timothy, you saw me. You not only followed my teaching, but you followed my purpose, my aim, my goals, my desires. And so when Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and he's commending Timothy to them, he says, I have no one like him. There's no one like him because of the way that he had followed Paul's example in all things not just in the methodology, but in every aspect in life. There is a great advantage of being under the tutelage of another individual, of having the privilege of being with them, being around them, uh, being fostered by then. As we think about our own church when we think about discipleship and when we think about passing the truth on from one generation to another we're thinking not just about the body of truth the gospel and we certainly want to pass that but it's also about aim and purpose and lifestyle so what we want to do is not only have people that believe what we believe, but are gonna be actively engaged in the work. That are, are gonna be taking on the duties and the responsibilities of the church in the future so the church continues on. And so that the next generation is gonna have the opportunity to have worship services and Sunday school classes and all of the things that are going on so that they then can disciple the next generation. So it's, it's really about equipping people for service in the fullest sense of that word. So a large part of this discipleship then is about opportunities to learn about service. And I'd just like to give some examples of ways in which that is done in uh, the life of our, our church. Opportunities for service. Well, one opportunity that is granted to our teens is that they are able to serve in the nursery along with an adult. Uh, And they are in the nursery along with an adult and they're able to sit there and talk with the adults and find out what's going on and the the adults can interact with them. And uh, they can learn about changing diapers (laughs) and uh, caring for children but not only that, they are learning about patience. <laughs> they're learning about what's the proper response to children when they're fighting. How do you handle that? Uh, they're learning about care. They're learning about nurturing. They're, they're learning about how to interact with children, what, how they should be responding to them. Our teens help with uh, our fellowship Sundays. They uh, set up tables. They move chairs. Uh, they are involved in the kitchen. They're doing dishes. They're doing all kinds of labors, working alongside with adults, of which they are engaging and talking and learning and seeing ways in which they can serve. Our evening service. We believe that, that uh, our young people ought to be actively engaged in uh, the worship of the Lord. And so, tonight and every night, uh, there are young people that are taking the offering. If you will notice, there's always one young person out of that group that is praying for the offering. You know, there are a lot of adults that feel uncomfortable praying in public. You realize that, don't you? There are adults that won't come to prayer meeting because they feel uncomfortable praying with somebody one-on-one. We have teenagers that are standing up praying in front of 120 people. That's commendable. That's development. That's growth. And that's intentional. That is a way to prepare them for ministry, for service. They're able to minister in music. It was great to have a mother and daughter duo tonight. Uh, singing together. <clears throat> what a great thing that is. And how often it is that our young people are the uh, ministry of music on Sunday nights. They are uh, playing the, uh, the instruments uh, for... Uh, Praise band, they are engaged in uh, so many uh, ways in which they're able to use their, their musical abilities. Uh, but one other area that I think is pretty unique to our church, and that is we welcome our teens into our senior choir also. That's pretty unique. Most churches don't have teens in their adult choir. They're adults. We have a teen choir. We also have a teen choir. We have encore and that's wonderful but for those that that want to participate they're welcome to be a part of the senior choir and that's neat they get to know people and they stand next to them and they're able to interact this multi generational thing is extremely extremely important in our Sunday school teens are given the opportunities Uh, we let teens take our teacher training class and once they have completed our teacher training class They're able to be helpers. And those that are the more mature are able to be teachers. In our Sunday school, we have youth fellowship. Has times of instruction. There are mentors that are overseeing them. They have service projects. They're planning these things. Uh, Kids are taking responsibilities, and a mentor is working with them. And together, they're overseeing uh, projects. Uh, They have a spiritual retreat. They're giving devotions. Some of our teens are giving those devotions. They have uh, the uh, Easter Sunrise Service. There are kids that are preaching in the Easter Sunrise Service. There are so many opportunities for them to develop their gifts and their abilities. They not only have fun projects, but they have service projects. For they learn the importance of not just having fun, but of serving one another, serving adults. Uh, And they serve our elderly. Uh, They've had situations where they've gone on visits. Uh, They've had meals for the senior citizens and invite them to come and they serve them. They make the meals. They uh, serve the food. All of that is discipleship. All of that is learning to serve. All of that is equipping them to step into these roles that are going to be need to be fulfilled in the future. can't. they can be helpers and they are assigned an adult counselor that they work with and together the, the helper and the adult counselor are preparing lessons. Uh, the, the kids are given responsibilities and duties. They're interacting with these adults Uh, They go to meetings together. It's shoulder to shoulder. It's adult to child. We have summer missionaries. A lot of our young people work at Victor Valley and at Pinebrook. We, as a church, financially support them. Uh, we, uh, We help pay those expenses for them to be able to use their summer in that way. And of course at Victory Valley and Pinebrook, they're learning to serve. Uh, They're using uh, opportunities to give their gifts. They are uh, exercising leadership and responsibility. They're watching over children. They're giving family, they're giving devotions. They're doing all kinds of things. All of that is very intentional and promoted in the life of our church. And it doesn't stop there. We have in our church pastoral interns. This summer, we were privileged to have two pastoral interns of which they are able to work alongside with the the pastoral staff, uh, go on visits together. Uh, They have had the opportunity to preach, to teach, uh, to engage in every aspect of, of the ministry, just to follow us around and to be entrusted with duties and responsibilities. So this discipleship is this giving of experience, giving of opportunity, allowing interaction between adult and teen to develop them not only in terms of abilities, not only in terms of intellectual understanding of truth, but also adapting behaviors, learning how to conduct themselves, learning how to respond. Uh, We need to grow. I remember, Early on, when I was a youth pastor, I started off in my home church. And uh, early on, I had a guy that, a teen, that was just really bad news. I mean, he was always giving me grief. Uh, He was a real wiseacre, you know, and never where we supposed to be. Never doing what, it, what, what, what ought to be done. And uh, one night, I just had it. I mean, up to here, I was just fed up. And uh, he was wise enough to me, and man, did I ram him out. I mean, up, side, and down. I just told him a thing or two. He was an elder's son. I went to that elder's meeting. And the elder was not too happy. And he said, I know my son can be a pain. That's what he said. He said, I know my son can be a pain. But you can never respond that way. That's just totally inappropriate. You have to learn to handle your emotions. You have to learn how to conduct yourself. And he read me the riot act. And then he got done with... Telling me everything that I had done wrong, and he was absolutely right. He was absolutely correct. He said, But Cal, he said, I know your heart. He said, You're a good young man. And he said, I understand. But you're gonna have to learn to control your temper. That's so true. I was given that opportunity. I was admonished. I learned. You got to control your temper. And that has put me in the best of stead. All these years. In the ministry. Discipleship. Learning. From one another. Not just opening a book for an hour. Not just sitting across a coffee cup but actually following people around, engaged in their lives, given opportunity for service. There is this remarkable statement that's given in 2 Timothy, and I I must admit that I hadn't noticed this until recently. I, I have these verses memorized, and I memorized them wrong. For if you notice in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, it says this, and the things that doubt, I'm King James now, sorry. Uh, Let me go back to find it in the ESV. Um, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, now this, who will be able to teach others also. I mismemorize that. I memorize that who are able to teach others also. It says who will be able to teach others also. But notice it says entrust to faithful men who will be able. They're not able yet, but they will be. But you're all ready to entrust the baton to them. You're all ready to give them opportunities. You're all ready to develop them so that they will be able to teach others also. The ultimate criteria is faithfulness. That's what you're looking for. Faithful individuals that you can work with, people of faith, people who are committed, and then develop their gifts, develop their abilities, who are able who will be able to teach others also. I think it's so important to give people the opportunity to teach the Word of God and uh, be able to instruct others in a setting where somebody is hearing what is being said and can gently come alongside them and say, you know, what you said wasn't exactly right. there's a nuance uh, that you need to understand. There, there, there is something that uh, you need to think about. Uh, to be able to be corrected, to be able to be instructed, uh, to be able to be developed, uh, that is discipleship in the New Testament. It's pictured as being a part of a family business. Uh, It's being discipled as a parent would a child. All of the familial language of the New Testament, church, brothers and sisters in Lord Jesus Christ, the qualification of an elder, he must rule well his own family. Uh, For, you see, it's first about rearing your own children, and then if you can rear your own children well, then you're ready to help rear other people's children. Then you're able to help provide guidance and counsel about how to deal with life's difficulties and and hardships. You're able to share from your own experiences and develop individuals. So when we're talking about discipleship, we're talking about opportunities to serve alongside of others. Developing gifts, learning not only how to do certain things, but why we do certain things. And most importantly, the spirit in which we do those things. How we conduct ourselves with patience and grace and mercy. I purposefully am going to stop here so that I have five minutes because I said I'd give opportunity for uh, questions and interaction. Uh, So anybody have anything they want to say to that? Anything cleared up or, or a reaction, whatever. But that is why we uh, do what we do. That's why we have children in our worship service. Let me just give you one other anecdote about that. Uh, we don't have a children's church. And uh, I tell uh, our membership classes often, uh, that's not because we didn't think about it. Uh, that's, that's because we never didn't ever hear of a children's church. And it's not because we don't have the people to man it. Um, there's value of children sitting in a church service. Uh, When I was at Reading, we had a children's church and I was responsible for it. (laughs) So uh, I've been in charge of children's church. But when I went to Reading, we never had any young families at the evening service, never at that particular point in time. And uh, I was uh, entrusted with the responsibility of trying to recruit some of these young families to come to the evening service. And I would sit down and talk with them and say, you know, why don't you come to the evening service? And the response that I would usually get is, there's nothing for the children, nothing for the children. Because they were used to having a children's church, a separate program, a separate ministry. So we don't come out on Sunday nights because there's nothing here for the children. But one of the, the problems also with children's churches is that it's hard to assimilate those children into adult church. For it's not a part of their experience, they don't like it, and all these other things, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Uh, And uh, perhaps that may be a tangent. But what I'm saying to you is this generational aspect is so, so important. That's what real discipleship is. Raising up the next generation. And equipping them to reach the next generation. It's not about peer-on-peer. It's older teaching younger. It's that whole maturation process. It's learning from those with experience, those with wisdom, those who have been through it. A Paul and a Timothy. One last call, anybody have anything they wanna say? Response? Okay, let's close in prayer. Our Father, help us. Help us as a church to want to develop the next generation. Uh, I pray that you would uh, do a work within us and that you would uh, just help us uh, to do this work of passing on the truth from one generation to the next. Amen. I still have two minutes, so I have an addendum here. I want to commend you as a church for allowing the children to have the opportunities they have, to have the young men, the opportunities that they have. There's always a struggle between excellence and development. And so many churches are so desiring of excellence, it means that that people don't get opportunities. They hire professionals to come in. And yes, excellence is wonderful. But developing individuals... Who are seeking to do their best. We're not talking about sloppiness. We're not talking about laziness. We're talking about development. We're talking about allowing people to mature, get better, honing their abilities, their crafts, getting used to being in front of others, learning how to handle themselves. Like me, learning how to deal with a temper so that we can be useful in the future. So thank you for giving these opportunities. Thank you for having children in the church. Thank you for putting up with crying babies every now and again. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Thanks. We're dismissed.